You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Welcome. How's everybody doing? Good, good, man. The Spirit is moving. I uh, just feel the Spirit of the Lord in this place today. So I just want to open us in prayer uh, as we go before the Lord and open up His Word. Father, You are good. We come before You humbly, knowing that we don't deserve to, uh, but knowing that we are fully accepted and loved because of what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. And so we get to now open up your word. And so God, I do pray that you would remove me and that you would proclaim what you want to our hearts and minds through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we stand with faithful brothers and sisters all around this community and this world. God, I think of uh, Summit Church and Crossroads and Sanibel Community Church that will be meeting here later today. God, we thank you for faithful gospel expressions that are proclaiming your name, that are partnering together. So Father, right now we come before you. We pray that you would move mightily in our hearts and our minds. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, I'm not going to leave you in suspense because I know some of you uh, are, like see something up here and then it like distracts you the entire time. And so I'm just going to go right for it. But we, uh, there are different types of shoes. And, and shoes do serve some sort of, of purpose. And shoes can identify a person. Um, they could uh, fulfill something that we're trying to do. So we're going to play a little game. Uh, what are these? Cleats, and therefore, soccer or sports, right? So if, if you wear these, you're not going to wear these to a banquet, probably. You're going to wear them to play sports. Uh, these right here. Flip-flops. What's the purpose they serve? Everything. Everything. Um, yeah, I mean, hanging out on the beach, by the pool, everyday life leading worship, right? All right. Church. Um, these guys, where are these? Boots. And they serve a lot of purposes, right? I don't actually own my own pair of cowboy boots, um, so maybe one day I'll be blessed with some. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, these are, these are Sunday boots. These are not field boots. There's a difference. Tim has been schooling me. You don't wear your, your Sunday boots in the field, right? These are for church, right? So, um, and then these right here? Clown shoes. Yeah. What purpose do they serve? Make you laugh, yeah. Um, so, so shoes could identify a person, what they do, what they enjoy, serve a purpose. Today we are going to explore what Paul says about the shoes of the gospel of peace. Now, I want to give us the context in which we're coming in, because we've been teaching through the book of Ephesians. We took a whole year to go through the book of Ephesians, and now we're landing the plane in, at the end of Ephesians, where Paul is talking about the armor of God. And this armor of God is not some abstract analogy that Paul is using. He is going all the way back to the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah is talking about a king who has come, 
or is going to come to, to place on his breastplate of righteousness, his armor of righteousness, and put on a helmet of salvation and redeem his people. And so he's going through these things because he is trying to help the people of God understand that there is an enemy. And that enemy is going to attack. It's not that the enemy might attack. It's that the enemy is going to attack. And so God gives us his armor when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, as he calls us, invites us, woos us into relationship with him. And he places this armor on us to protect us from the schemes of the devil. So Ephesians chapter 6, as Dean just read, let's start in verse 10. Paul is writing, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This idea of putting on is sinking into a garment. So God has placed it on you, and now you are sinking into it. You're owning it. You're enjoying it. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. In verse 16, we see that, that there is an enemy that is going to be shooting these flaming arrows. Either what we learned last week for a kill shot at our head and our heart, or what they use flaming arrows for is to create a fire somewhere else so that it would distract the army for the enemy to attack later. So either as a kill shot or to distract us, the enemy is shooting these darts, these arrows. And now we are diving into verse 15 today. And shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The children of God have a particular set of shoes that identify them and reveal their purpose. So I want to exegete, break down verse 15, and then talk about what the shoes of the gospel of peace equip us to go do. So first, readiness. What does this word mean? Ready to move. Kind of like an athlete would put on cleats. Anybody watching the football games that are happening around? Right? They could not do the moves that they do on the field without proper footwear. Cleats. They're ready to move. They're ready to take action. They're ready to explode off the line because of the shoes that they're wearing. This readiness is a preparedness to move. A call to action. Now, I live in a house with five girls, four daughters and a wife, whom I love so much, but we are never ready to move. <laughs> if there was a fire in my house, I may lose my life trying to rescue stuffed animals. Because at any moment, I'm like, all right, guys, we got to go. We're late. It's, it's another 20 minutes. And so if you're going to be somewhere at 1, you got to let them know we're leaving at like 12. Um, and that's just how it rolls in my house. And we've just gotten used to that. Um, but there's this readiness that at any moment God is going to do something. Because God is on the move. 
God is at work, and, and so there is this preparedness that we are being invited into by the Holy Spirit to say, be ready to move. As the Spirit stirs in our hearts and in our minds, we must listen and move, this readiness. And then, Paul talks about this word gospel. Now, Paul uses this word often, and this could become a Christianese word. We say gospel-centered, or we want to be gospel people, or we want to go to a church that preaches the gospel. But what do we really mean by that? Because the word gospel, when Paul was writing it, meant the good news. That's what that word means, the good news. So what is this gospel? It is this good news that Christ has come to reconcile relationship between man and God. Now, with good news comes bad news. I mean, if you think about Good news, bad news, like most scenarios, the best news that we can receive um, has maybe some bad news with it, like great news, Miguel and Natalie, you're having a baby, right? So that's not a surprise, um, by the way. You could tell when she's up here. Okay, so um, you're having a baby. This is going to be one of the most treasured, amazing things that you guys are ever going to experience in your life. And there's going to be sleepless nights and throw up and poopy diapers and all sorts of stuff that at 2 a.m. in the morning might seem like bad news. But the good news does outweigh the bad news. Or if you're doing something, um, I know we're not supposed to gamble, but say for some reason you win a million dollars. Good news. The bad news is, is you gotta give more than half of that away to taxes, right? So, so with these good newses also comes bad news. Well, the good news is that Christ is our peace. The bad news is that the enemy is out to destroy that peace. So, when you are born, and this is what we see all throughout Scripture, you are born into sin. King David, someone who is known as a man after God's own heart, said in one of his songs that he wrote, he said, when I was born, I was born into sin from my mother's womb, when I was, I, was, I was born into this. I was a fallen creature. Now, you may say, well, that, that can't be. Have you ever been around a one-year-old? Like, they, are, they just don't listen. Why? Because there's an innate sinfulness that is inside of us. We have been separated from our creator. So the bad news we see comes from the book of Ephesians that Paul writes a little bit earlier in chapter 2. And it says this, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Not a morally bad person, not irreligious. You were dead because of your sin. And then in Ephesians 2.12, it says, you were at that time when you were dead, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, which is the family of God, and strangers to the covenants of his promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But then we hear the good news. Well, what's this good news? This comes from verse 13. But now. I love when you see a button scripture because when you see a button scripture, it always points you to something amazing. Because often in the Bible, we hear this bad news, this separation. But there's always a but. But now, in Jesus Christ, 
you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now listen about how he's speaking of peace here. For he himself is our peace. Christ, Jesus, is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making, what word? Peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, this word peace here can seem very abstract, and, and I believe this is why. All people have lost their identity and their purpose because of sin. The bad news that we just heard about in Ephesians 2.12 says that we were without hope. And so the reason why our world is grasping at straws trying to find something that brings them peace, but not obtaining it is because they're searching for something other than God. And, and they would say, the world around us would say, that God isn't real, so why would we even try to, to go there? Let's just consume all the stuff in this world. But every single thing that they go after leaves them empty. There is not one celebrity no influencer, no person in politics that you could look at their life and say, you know what, they've arrived. They've got it all figured out. They've got it all together. No one. Even the people that we look up to and put on pedestals at some point will fall. Why? Because we were not created to be worshipped. We were created to be worshippers. And we will never find peace in worshiping the things of this world. Paul in the book of Romans says, we've lost our way because we've been worshiping the creation rather than the creator. There is one God, the one who spoke everything that we know of into being, the one who formed and knitted you in your mother's womb. That God is the one worthy of our praise. And if we don't bring him praise, if we don't actually give all of our heart and attention and mind to him, we won't experience peace. Now, our culture, our society would say that's a relative truth and you can find happiness elsewhere. And I would just say, can you? Look at it. Look at our world. I mean, it's pretty evident it's not possible. And so, we see this word peace. This no hope that we experience. Experiencing peace outside of God is impossible. And this is what causes our anxiety, our fear, our addiction, promiscuous relationships. We lack peace because we're trying to find identity and purpose in something other than God. God has hardwired into every human a longing to know him and have a relationship with him. That's how we were created. The only identity and purpose that we will ever have that brings us peace 
is to know him, love him, and be in relationship with him. But instead, we spend our time trying to seek peace in circumstances and comfort and control and safety. So we have these gospel shoes that God invites us to put on. And in fact, if you're a believer today, they are already on you. So how do we use them? What do we do with these gospel shoes of peace? Well, here's the first thing. The shoes of the gospel of peace equip us to stand firm. This is a trust and a dependence on who he is and what he has done. That's what we just declared through song a few minutes ago. To stand firm. This is a sure foundation. Everything we know of that is built has some sort of foundation. And so we see a story, um, and we don't have a lot of time to get into this, but Jesus is talking to a group of people, and he talks about these two men that are building houses. One man is building a house on a foundation of sand. There's another man that's building a foundation on a rock. And what does he say? When the storms come, the one that's built on the sand will wash away. But those that are built on the rock will stand firm. We saw that practically, literally, less than a year ago, where the hurricane washed away houses that weren't embedded into the foundation of the bedrock. Now, when they're building stuff on Fort Myers Beach in Sanibel, what are they going to do? They're going to drive these huge pillars down into the bedrock. Why? Because the foundation matters. These gospel shoes of peace give us a foundation to stand firm in trusting in the Lord. But these gospel shoes of peace also are purposed to equip us to run away. Now, it's probably not something you hear often. Like you, when you come to church, you're like, oh, you're supposed to, like, or in our, I think, just as people, right? We don't want to run. We're, we're, we're men, right? We stand up. If something comes at us, we, we hold our ground. But in, in Scripture, we actually see often that when, when the devil's attacking us and when sin is coming after us, like, there are times we need to run. And so where do we see this? First Corinthians, we see where, where Paul is writing to this young church. He's saying, flee sexual immorality and idolatry. Run away from it. We see this in 1 and 2 Timothy. This is, this is a, a, a man that Paul has poured his life into, someone he has discipled, someone he loves. And he's saying to him in, this, in, in 1 and 2 Timothy, flee youthful passions, the love of money, unsound doctrine, envy, dissension, slander. Run from it. So these gospel shoes of peace in moments, tell us to stand firm in trust and dependence on who God is and what he has done. And then there are times where, where the devil starts flinging his arrows, and there are times where, where sin starts to, to, to penetrate our hearts and in our minds. And what does God say? Run. Run from those things. So, so when those um, pictures start popping up on the computer or on the phone, what do you do? You run away. You drop that thing, you throw it on the ground, and you run. Or, or something at work that maybe be like shady, if you will. It's, it's not the good stuff. And it's, it's not like the, the stuff that's going to land you in jail. But it's the stuff that's really shady. That gray stuff. Right? And, and what is he saying? 
don't indulge in it. Don't try to, like, run from it. Run from slander and envy and dissension. Run from unsound doctrine and the love of money. And then these shoes of the gospel of peace equip us to run to something. The shoes of the gospel of peace invite us, call us to run to Jesus and run to others. Often the psalmist talks about running to God. I love how when David, who wasn't perfect, by the way, I think sometimes we can look up to, like, there is not one person in all of Scripture that you see that's perfect other than Jesus. Like, they're all sinners. And so we're seeing stories of people like you and I, and we're reading them. And so there's a guy, David, who is one of the most influential people of all time, King David. And yeah, he's the one that killed Goliath, if you knew that, like, story from the felt board. Um, And he continually wrote, even after he committed adultery and had somebody murdered. So, again, not perfect. Um, He writes early in the morning, earnestly, I seek you. I run to you, God. He's talking about the, the mountains crumbling into the depths of the sea. He's, he's talking about the, the earth shaking and the waters roaring and foaming. And then he says, but God, you are my God. He is continually talking about this pursuit of God that is like no other. When, when things are really falling apart, when your addiction has its claws in you, we stand firm on his truth We run from the sin, and then we run to Jesus. Why? Because God is accessible, he's available, and he always provides protection and help in our times of need. And even in the moments where you don't feel like you deserve it or that you're even worthy to go into his presence, in Hebrews he says, come before my throne of grace with confidence, knowing you will receive what you need in your time of need. Why? Not because you are worthy of it, but because of what Jesus did on your behalf. Jesus accomplished what you never could, so you don't have to clean yourself up before going to God, before running to God. In fact, God accepts you in all of your filth and dirtiness and brokenness. He wants you to bring that to him and allow him to clean you up. And allow him to transform your hurt and your habit and your hang-ups. So we run from sin, but we run to Jesus. And then we run to others. You know, there are those that you know around you that are hurting. God invites you to run to them with his good news. You know, often we play on the street. We have an amazing neighborhood where we get to, kids get to ride their bikes and stuff like that. And um, I would say maybe weekly, some kid takes a spill. I think we have like 18 kids under 12 or something like that on my street. And often a kid takes a spill. What do you do as a parent? Right, you run over right? You run to the one that's hurting. 
One of my uh, neighbors, young boy, like sliced his toe open. And so his parents were in the house. We were kind of watching him. And so threw him on my, my back and started running down the street to get his parents, right? Why? Because we run to those that are hurting. And we bring them to where they can get help. For those that are hurting, we run to, we share the good news, and we bring them to the one that can help them and heal them and bring them peace. And then, sometimes God calls us to run to those that need a warning. We see some people that are, are headed towards destruction. <laughs> the, 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 the idea in my mind was Paul Revere. I don't know if you remember that story from the history books. What did he do? The British are coming. The British are coming. Right? Running through the streets. Sometimes God empowers up and equips us to see something that someone else may not see. So God gives us a warning. Always filter that through the lens of Scripture. Do not try to come up with your own wisdom and give that to people. If you do, those people should throw it in the trash. However, if the Spirit impresses something on your heart and it's filtered through this and it is biblical, then you could come bring a warning. And you may want to pursue your elders and say, hey, the Lord's pressing this on me to share this with somebody, but I need, I, I need some help filtering this. Right? Because bringing a warning is some serious stuff. But God does invite us to run to those that are hurting and those that need a warning. And then maybe it's to encourage people. Maybe there are people in our lives that, that just need encouragement. They need to know that there is a God who loves them and wants a relationship with them. And maybe if they already know that, maybe, maybe God wants us to encourage them with um, a verse or a text or something. And when God stirs it in your heart, don't, don't just shuck that away. Don't just throw that aside. Sorry, I used the word shuck. You might not, a piece of corn, you know, you throw the husk out, right? Like, don't just throw it away. But, but actually, if the Lord stirs, hey, Ben, in my mind and my heart, then maybe I should just say, hey, man, how you doing? Hey, thinking about you, praying for you. Anything I can pray for? Because maybe there's a moment that, that he needs encouragement or she needs encouragement. I love this idea of running to others. We see this in the book of Isaiah, and then Paul repeats it in the book of Romans. But he says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Shoes of the gospel of peace. Who brings good news of happiness. Who publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. I love what John Piper says about this. He says, you want to know the joy of the Lord? Lead somebody to Christ. I think one of the reasons why we hit these like plateaus in our faith is because we are not running to those that are hurting and broken and lost and are spiritually dead and need life. And, and so, believers, I want you to know that God has invited you, has called you, has commanded you to run to those who are hurting and broken and bring them good news. He has already placed the feet, or the shoes on our feet, and he says, go, run, and share this good news with every man, with every woman, with every child. Amen? So right now, this is what I want to do. I, I want to take a moment of prayer. The band's going to come back on up, and they're going to start playing, leading us into 
song. But I want you to go before the Lord. And, and we do believe the Spirit is living and active. And we believe that the Spirit speaks. And so when, when we're in this time, I want you to try to tune out things around you, all the distraction. I want you to ask the Lord to place someone's name on your heart and on your mind. And this is why. Because often we can unintentionally just not think about these things. But each one of us has a circle of accountability, of influence in our lives. And it looks a little bit like this. It's not exactly like this, but it looks a little bit like this. This is our circle. There's everywhere we go. I would say that this is the first space that we meet people. It's not a first space because we intentionally make it a first space. It's a first space because you are there and you are the light of the world that has come to bring good news to others for Jesus, right? So God has, has made the church a light in the midst of darkness so that we can shine light on who God is and what he has done. And so everywhere you go, the gym, the coffee shop, um, the auto place, um, I, where, where do we go? I don't know. Um, and so wherever that may be, that's a place for us to bring good news. So there may be someone at your local Publix or Walmart that you see often when you're walking in, the same greeter at Costco, and, and God may bring that person to mind. To, to share some good news with. Then there's these second spaces where we begin to connect with people at a deeper level. Maybe it's having your neighbors over for dinner or maybe one of your kids are best friends with another kid at school and so you have their family over for, for a barbecue or something. These are places where you're connecting at a deeper level with people. And then there are those in your life that you are equipping or another word for that is discipling where you are investing in one another, right? Discipleship is always a two-way street. No matter how seasoned you are in your faith, you are always being discipled by other believers. And so maybe there's, for, for women, there's, there's another woman that you spend time with and, and have coffee with or read the Bible with. For men, same thing. Maybe it's a Bible study. Maybe it's a community group. But God invites us to have all of these relationships in our lives. And so for some of you, it may be that you're not pressing into a discipling relationship right now in your life. If that's the case, then maybe God's going to bring someone to your mind that you need to go talk to about meeting up for coffee and starting having gospel conversations with or even discipling relationship with. Maybe God's going to place somebody on your mind that you need to go and share your testimony with, the good news of what God has done and transformed in your life. So in this time when we, when we just kind of quiet down, we listen, God may bring different people to mind. And here's my encouragement to you. Write those names down. And ask the Lord, what does he want you to do? For some, maybe share the gospel. Maybe they're hurting, broken. Maybe there's something going on in their life. Maybe it's someone from high school. And you're like, man, I gotta reach out to that person. And for some, and maybe someone that you know is already a believer, and maybe God's just inviting you to just get together with them and start a discipling relationship. So that's what we're gonna do at this time, is just go before the Lord, ask the Lord to press people's names on our hearts, and we're gonna be faithful to just write those down and follow up with them. Sound good? Awesome. Can I pray for us? Jesus, in this time, I know that for some this could be uncomfortable. For some, they maybe have not spent time um, seeking you to ask you where they are to run to. And even right now, Lord, I actually feel you pressing on my heart that, that there are some here today that maybe have something in their life that they need to run from. And, and so, God, if there's a sin 
or an addiction or a relationship that, that is um, destroying somebody, leading them into sin, God, I pray that they would write that down too. The Lord, there are people in our world, in our circle of influence, circle of accountability that you have placed there specifically for us to be a light in the midst of their darkness. So right now, God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts and our minds who they are and how we are to bring the good news of your gospel of peace. God, I want to lift up every one of those people that you're going to place on our hearts. And I pray that you would begin right now to prepare their hearts for the conversations and the things that you are placing on our heart to share with them. God, we love you. We lift this up in your name.